Well, Prairie community, I'd love to be saying it's so good to be with you, but I'm clearly not with you. And it's actually not even Tuesday for me. Today is Monday. Um, I'm teaching from my office because to try and get all the tech available so you can even watch this. And there seems to be these really pesky little flies that somehow are alive in the middle of winter in my office. I have no idea how that's possible. So I hope they don't get a little too rowdy and make buzzing noises on the video. But we'll, we'll do what we need to do in order to get this to happen. And I'm still excited because Hildegard is a life worth listening to. Talking through people in history is, is such a, a, a good um, opportunity for us to listen to a different voice from a different time and see how it speaks truth into our own. So, um, well, I am a pastor in Red Deer at a church called Crossroads, and I, I mostly deal with families and children right now in my role. But one of my favorite things to do is actually to kind of be an intersection place where the church and the academic Christian world kind of come together and we're able to sharpen one another and help one another think well about how to be the body. And so I always love the opportunity to get to be with students or at least, you know, whatever this is, video with students. It's something, it's something. And a couple months ago, I was teaching a class to some students and we were talking about rights and freedoms and where we see oppression and how we respond to oppression. And one of the students raised his hand and, and the greatest area that he was seeing of oppression today is, well, I'll put it kind of in his words. He said something like this. What's ridiculous is how Hollywood is destroying men's rights. He said, every movie you see, they've made women the heroes or women the main characters. And it's so tacky and so lame. And I can't wait until we get over this whole feminist kick and, and move back to things being the way they should be. Now, you may agree with his statement. You may be just rolling your eyes at, at well, how much you don't agree with that opinion. But regardless, this student's comment made me think because what he's expressing is actually a sentiment that's going on right now in Hollywood. It's this need to actually raise up the voice of the underdog for people who have been powerless to give them a very specific voice of power. And this isn't just a Hollywood issue. You know, we could point to different movies that have come out with women as the main character or issues of race where people who haven't had a voice are now getting one. But this is something that's going on in the fabric of our broader culture. You don't have to think too far to think of abuses of power as of late. We've got politics to talk about. We've got... Um, racial oppression by the police to talk about. We've got governments taking away our economies to talk about. And, and not even just that, we've actually got spiritual leaders who even in the last couple of months have shown us that sometimes there's 
good reason to mistrust those who have power and have misused it. And at this time in our culture, I don't think it's an accident that Hildegard's voice has been elevated. So she lived over 900 years ago, this woman. She was a Benedictine and, uh, and she, she um, has only recently been given kind of more recognition and awareness. So in 2012, the Catholic Church named her a doctor of the church, which if those of you who don't know, that basically just means doctors of the church are people whose teaching the church needs to pay attention to. Okay? Now there's only four women total who have been elevated to this status, and she is the most recent. But her popularity goes way beyond just high church, you know, priestly type people. Hildegard is being noticed as this kind of trendy, freedom fighter, rebel person uh, that, that our broader culture is really excited about. So if you did a Google search of Hildegard today, you would see that she's got a craft beer named after her, that she's uh, highlighted in a series on Netflix in which they, well, they, they call her a witch, but mostly what I think they're doing there is they're trying to say, you know, this woman, her ideas were so awesome, the church could not contain her. And she branched out in all sorts of rebellious ways, which isn't actually the case, but Netflix sometimes gets it wrong. Uh, naturalists are all over. She's, you know, the, the first hippie using natural medicines. Feminists grab a hold of her and say she was the first voice for women. And even in music, music sees Hildegard today as being this amazing mold-breaking person. And, and her, her compositions have been considered some of the best from the Middle Ages. Okay, if that wasn't enough, I want to read you a list of 13 areas where Hildegard is considered to have made a significant contribution to history. Okay? Theology. She wrote three enormous theological works. Mysticism. Much of her inspiration came from visions she got from God. Iconography. She inspired more than 50 paintings. Hildegard wrote biographies. She wrote two lives of saints. Music, as I mentioned, over 77 songs. Hildegard wrote two medical textbooks that actually over 900 years later, are still being used in a clinic in Germany. Although, I can't say I would encourage any of us to necessarily go there. Uh, I, I hope we've built off of the medicine that Hildegard came up with in the Middle Ages. Uh, pharmacology, natural remedies. She wrote natural science textbook. She created a new genre of morality play. She wrote a history of the Diocese of Mainz. She had a significant preaching ministry, administered, governed over two convents, and she wrote 400 letters back and forth to people, an amount that was like unheard of during that time of history. Now, if all that wasn't enough, she even invented her own secret language. Why? Maybe just because she could. And all of these things that I just mentioned 
at a time when most women did not read. No women taught men, especially theology. And I hope you're starting to get a bit of a picture as to why Hildegard is seen as kind of fitting the mood of today. She's an underdog who was unstoppable, unsilenced. And I want to read you one of her most famous quotes. It goes like this. We cannot live in a world that is interpreted to us by others. An interpreted world is not a hope. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, to see our own light. Now, can't you just see, you know, little snippets of that being pulled out and put on like picket signs, you know, we will use our own voice, okay? Our culture has latched onto her because we see her as arguing something that, that we really want, our rights to be pushed. While protests and underdogs and feminists and even craft breweries, these things maybe have their place, but one of the dangers of doing history is we need to be careful to not place the ideals of our own culture, our own ideals, back into the mouths and lives of people in the past. And today, I want to argue that Hildegard is an important voice for our time, not as a rebel freedom fighter. Instead, in three areas, she provides a significant example to us of the discipline of solitude, a posture of humility, and a love of unity. So for the rest of our time, I want to just skim a bit through her life and highlight these three areas where I think she speaks really powerfully to us. Well, who was Hildegard? Who was she really? She was born in the year 1098 at a time of total political upheaval, okay? So not too different from our neighbors in the South. Some of you are maybe from the United States. Uh, political leadership was crazy in her time. Emperors vying for power, church leaders fighting for power. There was war and fighting, confusion, and Christians kind of didn't really know whose voice do we need to be following right now. There were plagues in her time. There was famine. There was poverty. There was economic uncertainty. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Hildegard's world was really not that different from our own. And what historians think is that she was the 10th child in her family. And at the age of eight, they committed her to the care of Yuta, a slightly older girl who had chosen to live a religious life. So think in the terms of, you know, Samuel being given up by Hannah to go and serve a religious life. Only eight seems pretty young. And, and, Hildegard didn't go to live just a regular life, you know, in some kind of, you know, at a Christian camp, we might think. No, no, no. Utah was an anchorite, and that basically means a solitary person. Sometimes anchorites would actually, uh, they would go right next to a monastery, and people would build a wall around them with no door, just kind of a hole in it, to be able to pass letters back and forth and receive food. 
But the whole idea was in seclusion, in isolation, a very alone type of life. This is how Hildegard spent her early years. She learned to read, she learned Latin, she, she sang and read the Psalms, she prayed and fasted, but much of her, her early years was spent alone. And, you know, for most of us, that is not the picture of the religious life that we have come to Bible school to pursue. Okay? None of you came here saying, I so badly just want to be alone and, uh, and build myself into a wall. And yet, you know, the circumstances of this last year have left many of you feeling very alone. It is not necessarily what you chose. Hildegard didn't choose it either. But how does a situation that isn't of our choosing become the fuel of God's work in our life? For Hildegard, it's because at a very young age, she learned the difference between isolation and solitude. They're not the same thing. Isolation, we have come to experience. You know, we use the term lockdown. It's like a prison. We're trapped from the outside world. But solitude is actually a refuge from the outside voices around us. Isolation is bad for our mental health. We know this. But solitude is actually essential for our spiritual health. Isolation can be forced on us. It was forced on Hildegard. But solitude is a choice. And often it needs to be fought for. Isolation wears on us. It wears us out. Whereas solitude actually transforms us. It's kind of a bit of a misnomer using the word isolation because it's not just about our surroundings. Today, we could be sitting in the North Odd. We could be sitting all there together, surrounded by people, even right close, right next to each other and actually still be experiencing isolation in our hearts. A hiddenness from others. A hiddenness from God. Oftentimes, a hiddenness even from ourselves. We don't know what is in there. We're isolated. Whereas solitude is also a bit of a misnomer because it's in, in seeking solitude, in trying to flick on the lights inside our own hearts and, and listen to what is really there, that we become aware that we're not alone. We become aware in solitude of God's presence with us. This is what Hildegard means, that quote I read when she says, we cannot live in an interpreted world. She's talking about a world in which we spend all of our time listening to God's word to other people. God's relationship to other people. That person's sermon. That professor's thoughts. That friend's piece of advice to us. Interpretations. Now, interpretations aren't necessarily bad. I mean, we've all experienced, especially, the need to have an interpreter when we don't speak a language. 
I remember one particular time I, I was trying to hear from a teacher and I didn't speak the language. So I, I tuned in and this person was translating. But the, the teacher would say kind of like one sentence and the translator would go on and on and on for like five minutes. You start thinking, wow, I had no idea. It took so many words in English to communicate one line. And the more time went on, it kind of became very clear that while I was maybe getting some in interesting information, I was not getting anywhere close to the original, the real thing. It was very interpreted. And as I spent some time this last week thinking through my own college experience, much of my time at Bible school was, I think, living in a very interpreted world. I read lots of books. I learned lots of things, facts about God. I spent lots of time listening to people and hearing their thoughts. And all those things are very, very, very good and important things. And don't get me wrong. Don't, um, don't disdain them. But I spent so much time listening to these interpretations and I started equating that with listening to God's voice to me. I settled for an interpreted world. Hildegard says an interpreted world is not a hope. There's no hope there. And I remember being at school and hearing somebody one time speak on Matthew 7, which is a very terrifying passage, in which people come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? We, we learned about you and we put it to work and we look at all the stuff we've done, God. We're great Christians, aren't we? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Hildegard embraces solitude in her life to allow God to know every part. There is no hiddenness. She says, search me, O God, and know me. And I wonder what she would say to you and me in the midst of our forced isolation. Rather than to bucket and complain and think of all the ways that our college time or family time or work time could be better if we weren't enduring isolation, I wonder if she would challenge us that could we use this time to grow in the discipline of solitude? Because I will say this, coming from a standpoint of the church, what our world desperately needs today is not more lukewarm bums in the pew. What we need is men and women whose lives are set on fire because they haven't settled for an interpreted relationship with God. They shut out the other voices. Media, Hollywood, the news, friends, those things are less important than listening to the voice of Jesus speaking to them. Discipline ourselves in solitude. Well, 
as Hildegard's life goes on, she's, she's in this quiet kind of cell and she gets these visions from God and God is speaking to her and, and she has this kind of quiet ministry. But when there's a good thing, it starts getting out and more people start hearing about this woman and her teaching and, and the way God is using her. And they come to live in this convent and it begins to not be quite so solitary, but rather it's a community. And later in her life, Yuta, the leader, dies. And Hildegard is now appointed to be leading over this group of women. And suddenly, one day, the word of the Lord comes to her. And here's where, you know, that part of the quote where she says, part of the terror is taking back our own listening. Now, why? Why is that terrifying? Well, because when we listen to God, he might actually ask us to do something really, really hard. Something really, really scary. And when Hildegard is 43, she hears the voice of the Lord saying to her, Hildegard, write down your visions. It's a call to teach. And here's where kind of the tension comes for her in her life. Because she knows without a shadow of a doubt that God is asking her to do something to communicate his message to the people. But she's not allowed. And what is she going to do? How is she going to respond? The call isn't just to rant. It isn't just to, you know, plug her ears and shout as loud as she can God's words at the people. That's a lot easier to do. The task is to communicate and when we communicate, we have to do it in a way that other people can receive it. But she's a woman. And she isn't allowed. And she's faced with a, a, a choice. If she's defiant and she just rants, she might have a few listeners. She's pretty smart. But overall, her voice is going to be lost. What would we do in our day? Well, our culture is, is so on about, you know, if they try and oppress you, find another way, right? If, if leaders won't let you speak, get on the blog or get on social media. Find another way to get your voice out there. That's not what Hildegard does. Instead, she chooses to get humble. She doesn't take her rights as being something that she needs to defend. Instead, she goes to the Pope and she very humbly asks for permission. If you ever have the privilege of reading Hildegard's writings, one of the things that will strike you drastically is how she talks about herself. She describes herself as a frail little woman, unlearned, unimportant, and she, she completely kind of debases herself. And it's hard to hear sometimes. I'm like, you're clearly much more learned than me. Uh, don't call yourself unlearned. But what she is doing is she sees her life as being a feather. She describes herself as a feather. Has no power on her own. She's just tossed about by the wind of the Holy Spirit. It's God's work. It's his message. And so when she brings it to the Pope, she knows that if God is going to make it go forward, it's his work, not hers. 
and she presents her offering and says, if it's useful, use it. If it's not, I'll keep it to myself. Hildegard, her life follows so closely in this way. When she's worshiping a crucified God, she says to herself, Philippians 2, he doesn't take equality with God, something to be grasped onto. He humbles himself and he's willing to serve. Even if the Pope doesn't think she's equal, she's willing to serve. And I'll be quite honest, I, ha I feel a little bit uncomfortable with this type of humility. It, it reminds me of the story of the Syrophoenician woman in the Gospels, where this non-Jew comes to Jesus and she asks him to heal her child. And Jesus's words are just uncomfortable to me. And he says to her, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I mean, how would you feel if Jesus called you a dog? How would you respond? And this Syrophoenician woman, there's not even a hint of pride in her. She says, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus listens to her and he says, you've got it. You've got it. And I will grant your request. And he heals her child. What matters is how do we respond when someone infringes on our rights? Do we take up arms? Do we defend ourselves? Do we fight for our rights? Is that the Christian way? Hildegard says, no, it's the way of humility, laying down our rights. And she refuses to come out, guns ablazing throughout her whole life. Her posture is one of saying, I humbly present my gift. And because she does this, the Pope can't deny what God is doing in her life. And unprecedentedly, he gives her the authority to teach, a right that no other woman in that entire age was given. It's interesting because we don't have too many humble heroes in our day. Hollywood isn't interested in, you know, the underdog who doesn't fight back probably wouldn't make a very exciting story. But unfortunately, in many of our churches, we prefer the Hollywood heroes to the Christian ones. It's easier to rant about what we want in our rights than it is to humble ourselves. In Prairie, I, I want you to think very carefully about what it looks like to say we worship a crucified God and yet, on the other hand, be so concerned about fighting for our rights. Well, once Hildegard's voice gets out, it's just out there. It's unstoppable. And so many people are impacted by God's spirit working through her. She writes and speaks prolifically. Um, and, and oftentimes what she writes about is she writes about abuses in the church. So it's not that she doesn't see injustice or care about it. She's just simply not concerned about pushing her own rights. She talks about abuses against nature and the environment. She writes to the rich and the poor. She's kind of almost like a dear Abby where people write into her and she, um, she, she tries to offer them wisdom from the Lord to their circumstances. 
But over all the things that she does, the thing that, that speaks the most clearly to Hildegard is actually music. Because in music, Hildegard sees God actually teaching us about what unity in the church is to look like. It's like when you're in a room and, and everyone's voices are just raised in harmony. And all of a sudden, somebody just is totally off key. And it's, it's just so obviously wrong. It doesn't belong. It's not beautiful. It, it, it just causes us to, to feel discord. And that, according to Hildegard, is a picture of a church that isn't united. It's easy to talk about unity in the church. It's easy to talk about laying down our rights for one another until we've been asked to, until our rights are actually taken away. And towards the very end of Hildegard's life, there's a circumstance that, that tests her in this. She's asked by the leaders of the church over her to dig up a body that was buried on her convent property because they thought this person was excommunicated from the church. Now, Hildegard knows that's not true. And she says, no, we cannot do this. And because she disagrees, they invoke church discipline on her. And they tell Hildegard that until she agrees, all of the nuns with her cannot take communion and they cannot sing. And for Hildegard, this punishment is so strong. She loves to sing. And what is she going to do? She knows they're wrong. How can they take away her rights like this? She, she could just defy them. She has authority over her nuns. And she seeks the Lord and she hears his answer. And he tells her, it is better to be united and to submit. And so they don't sing. And for a period in Hildegard's life, she, she wrestles out what it looks like, the awkwardness, the hardship of striving for unity, even when someone else is wrong. And thankfully, towards the end of her life, the church, their uh, evidence comes forward that Hildegard is in the right and everything is restored and they sing again and she's able to feel united with the Lord before she dies. But there's a message there for us today because in a world that is so quickly divided over masks and vaccines and politics and protests and you name it, if we in the church are as easily divided, what do we have to offer a fractured world? Just more off keynotes. And so as I close, I wanna remind you of the three things I think Hildegard speaks to our time. Yes, she's got some good recipes for healthy cookies and herbal remedies and, you know, a bunch of other things. But these three things, I think, are the voices that we need to hear from this woman of the past. She would say to us, allow time alone to be God's furnace of transformation for your life. Discipline solitude. She would say, don't be swayed by culture to think that the way of the cross is the way of shouting out your rights. It's humility. Humility is how we find our voice. And lastly, I think Hildegard would say to us that a church without unity 
is no hope for the world. And so, as you go to uh, another semester filled with isolation and the loss of rights and the lure of division all around us, I want to pray that God would fill you with his light to be able to be light in a dark place. Bless you.